Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Nate Pickowitz to the podcast. Nate serves as the pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Gilmanton Ironworks, New Hampshire. He is also the author of Reviving New England, the key to revitalizing post-Christian America and, and why we're Protestant, an introduction to the five solos of the Reformation. Nate, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you. Hey, it's a delight to have you on the phone today and recording this podcast. I have in my hand your book that's uh, been out not that long, entitled Reviving New England, The Key to, Revitaliza- to Revitalizing Post-Christian America. And it's a book, a very helpful little book, an interesting little book, and so I uh, was delighted to, to receive it, and I'm delighted to have a conversation with you today. And so here's what I want to do. We have about 20 minutes to talk about pastoring in New England, and the conversation will be more than your book, but uh, it serves as a good touch point, a good reference point for us. So, hey, before we get into the meat of the conversation, how about just a little update on yourself and your current ministry at Harvest Bible Church, and uh, if you would just familiarize our audience with you and your ministry. Sure. I grew up in New England. I'm born and raised in New Hampshire. And uh, in 2013, my wife and I and then three other families uh, planted a church in my hometown of Gilmanton Ironworks, New Hampshire. So, that's a, By the way, that's a uh, mouthful. A, it is. It is. And, and kindergartners are just uh, tortured to have to learn how to spell that, you know. Right. <laughs> but um, so grew up here, you know, uh, when I was a kid, we always... Uh, traveled pretty far to find a, a Bible church, and so it's always been a struggle. But in 2013, I had the opportunity to, to lead a team to do that, and so we've been here just, just over five years, and it's really been a joy. I've got a wife, uh, Jessica, and two children, Jack and Izzy, they're four and seven. It's just been a real joy. So, uh, yeah, just up here in my hometown and uh, just preaching, teaching, just doing ministry. It's been wonderful. So, how long? I know you said you you grew up in New Hampshire. You're in New Hampshire now. Have you been there your whole life, or did you minister in other contexts for a season? No. So I mean, I went away for for school. I actually went to college in Pennsylvania. I'm not Bible based. It was just liberal arts, and then uh, came back. So for the most part, apart from a few years abroad, this is my uh, this is where I've ministered my whole life. So um, yeah, just this is in my blood. Very good. I'm curious, Nathan, uh, when did you become a believer? And just tell us when you became a believer and kind of when your call to ministry took shape. Sure. Uh, well, I was raised in a Christian home, and so there, there, there's there, been a, a little bit of confusion as to whether or not um, my profession when I was younger was uh, certainly true. But uh, for, for, for sure, uh, I was uh, committed my life to the Lord when I was about 23, met my wife at the time. She got saved out of Roman Catholicism. And so in my early 20s, but really didn't feel a call to ministry until much later, until I was closer to 30. And um, I just started to read the Bible, and I just got bit by the bug. I just started reading theology, and I just I couldn't stop. I was, I'd get home from work, and I would just tear through the Scriptures, and I just I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that something was happening. And then my love for um, ministering and discipling young men and uh, just all things uh, church, I just started to, to grow in my desire. And then my church leadership, I was serving at a different church, and they began to notice certain things. And within a couple of years, we were able to discern that the Lord was, in fact, calling me to ministry. So it was a, a, a slow process, maybe three to five years all in, but 
um, just uh, just been a real joy to, to be able to do that. Well, you know, when you talk about pastoring in New England, what you're doing, uh, what you have been doing, the book you've written, what helps to uh, to frame that reality. I think for many evangelicals, it, there's a an intrigue about it, given our own nation's history, uh, the church history, and obviously the many different events that have taken place in that general area. Of course, our minds go especially to uh, to Whitfield and Edwards and uh, the the colonial and then post colonial era, and uh, it's just such a um, a storied place. So I guess even on the front of the conversation. Uh, Help our readers, help our listeners to contextualize that. Uh, what does the history mean to you? What should the history mean as one serving that area? So when I when I was growing up, I I was largely ignorant of what our history was, and I didn't know anybody else that was going to church that really was talking about it. Certainly, the pastors and preachers weren't talking about it, and it wasn't really until I began to fundraise for the church plant that I began to to read and to study you know, the, the area that I was looking to pastor in and, you know, surrounding towns I grew up in and just sort of stumbled into on my own uh, learning about the history, you know, the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, uh, the mission, you know, what's called the errand of the wilderness, you know, the first mission to bring, you know, the Puritan gospel here and and the emergence of the Baptists and all these different things that were happening. I w- it just blew my mind that at one point in history, this was the seat of the modern missions movement. This was the, the center place of gospel preaching, not just in America, but, but the Great Awakening spread across Europe as well. And so people were looking to this little tiny piece of geography um, for inspiration, for encouragement. They were sending money this way. So much came out of New England. Uh, it's really, uh, it's just amazing to even think about. Um, first missionary overseas, um, Adoniram Judson came out of Massachusetts. Uh, Luther Rice came out of Massachusetts. I mean, just so much happening. So, to, to contrast the first three centuries of our history and then the most recent century of our history, it is a stark, stark contrast. Sure, and 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 the Northeast is similar to uh, the Pacific Northwest in that they both are, you know, trend more secular than, than the heartland and obviously than the Bible Belt, but they're different in this way. Uh, the, the Northeast is post-Christian. The Pacific Northwest was really never Christian as far as right. the, the majority of people and how that region was settled. Uh, I know you met some students from Midwestern Seminary last summer. We had, I think, about 30, 35 students who did a, a, a church history kind of tour throughout New England. And uh, what is more, I, I took my own family on a, a major church history tour throughout the region back four summers ago, and we spent a day at Harvard, a day at Princeton, a day at Yale, took them to where Whitfield's buried. I mean, took them to, you know, to, to so many different points of reference there just to trace the glorious history, the glorious church history that, that resides uh, in New England. And, and, it, and it's, it's an inspiring tour, but it, but it also, you know, is a, is a bit discouraging because it's, it's, or it's a bit sobering, I should say, because it reminds us that though a region or an area or even a city or a church was once vibrant, uh, there is no insurance that a, a past vibrant will bring a, a future vibrancy as well. So, so that's New England. That's where you are. Uh, your book, Reviving New England, The Key to, Re- to Revitalizing Post-Christian America. Uh, tell us about the book. Why did you choose to, to write that book? So getting into ministry, um, what I started to do is um, I started to travel around. I would meet pastors. I would look them up online. I, 
I was really looking for friends, and I was traveling around trying to meet um, Bible preachers and uh, preachers with sound doctrine and healthy churches. And I just looked around, and I, I was struggling to find like-minded uh, ministries. And again, looking at the history and just sort of seeing where we are, I began to look at you know some of the stats and some of the reports about what percentage of uh, professed uh, Bible-believing evangelical Christians were up here, and it just was so stark, and I just began to lament. I mean, Edwards used to cry out before the Great Awakening, Lord, give me New England, and I just started to—that became my cry as well. And so the book was really written as a manifesto. There's nothing—it's going to be really kill my book here, but there's nothing that's original about it. It's really just a call back to what the Bible already teaches about what is biblical faithfulness in terms of preaching and and discipleship and repentance and the things that are, are essential to to Christianity are the, are the very things that have been lost up here. And so, really, it was a desire to um, to to minister and to preach to people who maybe maybe don't know these things already, but also to encourage the ministry uh, that's happening already up here. There's a lot of lonely pastors up here uh, that are looking for friends, looking for other other people. We feel like Elijah up here, but. Uh, lo and behold, the Lord has preserved churches who are faithful. It's uh, it's wonderful, but really desires to, to link arms with other pastors and to give them encouragement, and also to wave a flag for the rest of the nation to say, look, you know, we're still up here. We need help. We need support. Um, there's so much here, you know, and sort of wave that banner, you know. So that was. It's really just a manifesto. Well, I want I want to tease out for a moment. I want you to tease out kind of the situation on the ground now. Currently, we've talked about the history. We've talked about the fact that uh, it's largely post-Christian, or as some would like to say, more optimistically, pre-revival. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but but what what on the ground? What's the situation on the ground? The typical town, typical city. Let us give us a, a good sense of what the actual situation is relates to the churches. What that is on the ground. So everything is, in terms of um, what folks might be used to in the South or in the more populated areas, uh, the churches, by and large, are very small. I mean, New England is very small as it is. I mean, you have Boston, you have Hartford, which are bigger cities. But, for example, in New Hampshire, the largest city is 100,000 people. So by, by comparison, it's not very big. And so we have a lot of very small towns, very rural towns. And, you know, you might just have a, a handful of believers who are faithfully attending a church. And, you know, there are some Bible preachers, gospel ministers up here. But in many places, I mean, there are whole towns that might have a community church but haven't heard the gospel in several decades. I was preaching um, just, I was invited to just an event, a summer event, kind of a, a church event. And I just preached a very simple gospel message. And I had a gentleman walk up to me and say, I haven't heard that since I was a kid. And so, by and large, most people, when you talk to them on the street, they have no context for any kind of Christian language. They've never heard the gospel. Many of them have never heard the gospel. They don't know who Jesus is. There's no assumed knowledge or assumed Christianity at all. People have no problem telling you that they don't go to church, they don't believe in God, and they're fine with that. So it's, uh, it's a little bit shocking, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's refreshing in the sense that you have an opportunity to have very real, um, very sort of close-to-the-bone conversations. When you tell someone about the Lord, um, this is information they've never heard before. Um, so it's, uh, it is different than when people come to visit, they talk about how different that part is. But 
everything's very small. Um, in, in a lot of senses, it feels like we're kind of hobbling along up here. Um, but there are, you know, still faithful congregations, faithful pastors that are doing the work of ministry, and many of them are doing it for decades. So um, there is hope for sure. Hey, Nate, let's pause just for a moment for a word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Philosophy degree program is designed to equip leaders interested in building up the church. The Ph.D. Biblical Studies program at Midwestern Seminary provides opportunities for advanced research and preparation in theology in an environment passionate about God's primary plan for the advancement of the gospel, the local church. Choose from multiple emphases and let your advanced degree open up new opportunities for ministry in our rapidly changing world. With our modular program of study, you can remain in your current ministry setting. But we've also recently introduced the residency, an experiential component to the PhD track where local doctoral students receive one-on-one coaching and mentoring and a community context in which to bolster their studies. Get your PhD today for the church. I'm back with Nate Pickowitz talking about pastoring in New England. So the situation on the ground then, I, I guess I want to ask, I want to, to, to sharpen it this way. You've talked about the church, the spiritual status, as it relates to pastoring there. Yeah. And and not just to personalize it to you, but but to pastors in the area, does that does that feel exhilarating because there's so much opportunity? Does it feel demoralizing because there's so much hardness? I, I, help me to kind of sense that. Yeah, so the pastors I've talked to, and even the way I felt before as well, is just loneliness. It feels very lonely. Uh, and I know that pastors everywhere can probably relate to that, but there's a, a couple of groups. A lot, of, a lot of the pastors I've been meeting, several of them, kind of like the game changers, have been trying to start fellowship groups and trying to start smaller ministries for pastors that are sort of getting us all on the same playing field. Um, I know Gospel Coalition started kind of a small, a small summit, small-town summits ministry for the sole purpose of trying to reach small-town pastors, rural pastors who don't, literally don't know another like-minded pastor within driving distance. Um, so that's, that's part of it. There is a sense of loneliness. Um, like I said, you know, there's so much um, Unitarianism, liberalism, Roman Catholicism has swept through. And so, you know, a lot of people that I've been meeting, uh, it's just been very depressing that they have to travel. And when they find a church that preaches the gospel, I mean, they rejoice. I've met people who are in tears when they find a, a good church because it's so hard to find up here. So I think that's part of it. There is a, a sense of depression, I think, for some of the pastors. Um, but when you when you are in fellowship with other other believers, other pastors who are like-minded, there is a sense of camaraderie. Um, I've made a lot of good friends up here who, you know, we definitely have a uh, sort of a, a sense in our bones that this is this is the time. You know, this is the time to act because there is so much that's promising. We just have to work really hard to get it. You know, no one's walking in off the door, off the streets and you know necessarily looking for this. You know. So you say in your book, you argue that the key to revitalizing America is first to revive New England. Help me understand that. Yeah, so it's, it's a theory that I'm kind of working through. But right now, because of the state of New England, because there is, there is so much that has not reached us yet, basically whatever, whatever church trend that happens and starts somewhere else finds its way up here in about 10 years. And so, so much of the, the burned-over uh, areas of, of perhaps the Bible Belt, a lot of the, the church growth strategies and even the fads 
haven't reached us yet. And so, I mean, some people have even called us, um, not just post-Christian, but even an unreached people group. I was talking to um, a Dr. Herschel York, who's a, a professor at uh, SBTS. He's a pastor, and he was up here doing a, a workshop for pastors, and we were talking about um, the fact that evangelicals are less than 2% in some areas. And he looked at me and he said, that's an unreached people group. That's what, that's, that's what the IMB considers unreached. That's so, right. Um, so if, that, if that's the case, if that's how small a ministry we have, if we can sort of flood the region with pastors and with churches and ministry leaders who are preaching the gospel and who are faithful to the exposition of the Word and who can contend for sound doctrine, if and when the Lord decides to move and to revive with that, so not sort of this revivalist um, methodology in other places, but true sound doctrine, true exposition of the Scriptures, if the Lord decides to move and does it in this region, I firmly believe that the rest of the country and perhaps the world might look and say, well, what are you doing? And if our answer is being faithful to the Scriptures, devoting ourselves to sound doctrine, that's a paradigm shift. That's something that we're not used to hearing and seeing. And so I think the fields are white right now, and I think that there's an opportunity for us uh, to, to, to use this and catalyze this because it's, it's wide open. I mean, we're not fighting, we're not competing for territory with other ministries, or we're not burned out with tactics. No one is exposed to anything. So I really think it could be a catalytic time and a, and a, a place for us to sort of kickstart other, other revival um, in other places. And again, I say revival meaning something that the work of the Holy Spirit, he's the one who's doing it. It's not something we man-made. Understand. Um, so I, I really believe that this is the key, personally. If I'm wrong, that's okay. <laughs> but if, if it does happen, I, I think it could be transformative for the country. What then would you say a healthy pastor in New England looks like? By that, I mean, obviously, the bulk of pastoral ministry, the qualifications in First Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and so sure. forth. I mean, that's, that's, there's not, that's not customized to a region that is transferable Absolutely. generation to generation, region to region. At the same time, uh, we are mindful that different eras, different places, different cultures present particular opportunities and challenges. So again, we're talking today with people listening to this podcast who are in ministry, many are pastoring, many are preparing for ministry. In your opinion, what type of skill set bodes well in pastoral ministry there beyond the, 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 um, the standard, you know, First Timothy three one through seven qualifications for ministry. Sure. So I, I mean, at this point, New England churches need Bible men. You know, folks who are, you know, it's one thing if you are, you know, have have a, an aptitude for leadership and are personable and all those kinds of things. But by and large, so many folks are starved for Scripture and starved for sound doctrine. So, you know, those who are, um, you know, sort of pastor theologians, those who can. Uh, who can handle the Word uh, accurately and can, who can exposit the Word, that's desperately needed up here right now. But I think also, too, you know, those who are willing to be patient, um, not very much happens quickly up here. It's very slow work. It's very laborious work. And so you have to have sort of a grit, uh, sort of a, a, a quiet spirit in the sense that you're willing to do the hard work and spend a few decades uh, a friend of mine, Jamie Owens, who was just uh, installed as the pastor of Tremont Temple in Boston, he's told me before that his ministry is to slug it out for as long as it takes to make the next the next pastor have an easier time. He has to do the work now of bringing the gospel and the scriptures to the church, and it's going to take decades. And so we need we need men who can 
have that kind of a focus that if it doesn't come together in three to five years, that's all right. It probably won't come together that fast. So just a, a steadfastness, determination, uh, a humility um, that that maybe people they'll, they'll see right through a fraud. They they want people who are genuine, who love the word, who love the Lord dearly, and who can minister faithfully for a long period of time. We need we need steadfastness. And so, moving beyond the personal level of steadfastness of theological faithfulness, um, what are the keys to having a, a growing and sustainable ministry in New England? I think you know, kind of going back to that. I, I mean, in terms of like our church right now, I mean, all things being equal, things are going fairly well. We've had numerical growth, which has been exciting. We've also had um, spiritual growth. We've seen a lot of people changing and people coming to faith in Christ. And our model has been very, very simple: um, the exposition of the Word, teaching Bible studies, theology groups. So again, I, I really think people, when I've talked to people coming into our assembly, their desire is for someone just to minister the Word to them. Uh, it's something that's been lost. I mean, we, we've we've been content to have sermonettes and homilies, and you know, like I said, they're starving. The minute believers up here are starving, and so. I don't know if it's per se any kind of a specific skill set beyond just what is required for faithfulness in terms of handling the word. Culturally, um, I mean, I think that you have to sort of endure, and you have to like the Red Sox for sure. So there are some cultural trappings, but um, I think faithfulness in New England really is just going to be ministering in that way and, and just having a patient a patience to you. Um, and I know that's probably nothing that's that's different from other parts of the country, but it's something that's that's very um, sorely needed right now. I don't know if that if that answers the question or not, but uh, that's kind of how I see it at this point. Yeah, no, I think so. Listen, our, our time is flying by here, Nate. But I, I just I want to ask you one more question. And again, understanding many listening are in seminary, many are young men in ministry. Um, why should more men considering pastoring in New England make the case to the 28 year old, the 34 year old listening to this podcast? who's thinking, man, this sounds intriguing, uh, but I'm from Georgia. I'm from Arkansas. I'm from Idaho. Why should I go to New England? Because New England needs them uh, very badly. I mean, we, we've got such a rich heritage of those. Uh, Ian Murray in his book, Revi- Revival and Revivalism, talks about how there was a time in history where unnamed pastors, someone who's never going to make the history books, could minister the Word and was really planting the seeds for the Great Awakening simply because they could handle the Word, and they could minister, and they could love people up here. And so there's such a rich heritage, and we can get that back in terms of the faithfulness element to it. So it's just such a—there's such an opportunity uh, to preach the gospel, to, to witness to people, uh, to minister to the, to the flocks that, that are dying for the Word. And uh, people, when they find a, a, good, a good pastor, a good preacher, they don't want to let them go. They love them to death. So it's, it's, such a, it's just a breath of fresh air to be able to— minister to people who are, are longing for this. This is not—we don't have a church on every corner who's preaching the gospel. We need more. For every every town, there's got to be at least three to five new church plants just to handle the population growth. So there's just such an opportunity for ministry, and, uh, and what a joy, and just to be an encouragement even to other pastors in the area who desperately need friends. So it's just a, a wonderful place to be uh, culturally, uh, but even just for the ministry of the kingdom, it's just uh, such a wonderful place. So we we need faithful laborers for sure. Well, Nate, you've made the case, and I appreciate that very much. Hey, it's been a joy to have you on Preaching and Preachers today. 
We pray for you, for faithfulness, for courage, for, uh, for energy, for steadfastness in the work that God has called you to there. And we pray the Lord will raise up many co-laborers with and among you uh, towards these end as well. God bless you, my friend. Thank, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.